This podcast is sponsored by Element. Element is an electrolyte drink mix perfectly formulated for anyone on a low-carb, keto, or carnivore diet. Each packet contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Element can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleepiness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. When I'm fasting and not getting proper electrolytes, I start getting headaches and wake up with crazy foot cramps. The Element packets can replenish that through these convenient packets that I can take with me anywhere. I like the unflavored packets, which are literally just magnesium, sodium, and potassium. They also come in a variety of flavors like raspberry, orange, chocolate, or habanero lemon. They're sweetened with stevia and contain no artificial ingredients, gluten, or fillers. Right now, Element is offering all of our listeners a free sample pack with any order. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors. You can get yours at drinkelement.com slash C-A-T-G. This deal is only available through this link, so you can check out the description and go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash C-A-T-G. Thank you for supporting companies that support this podcast. Let's get back to the episode. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole nother thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder, the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. (laughs) Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Judy Cho. Judy, when is this, actually, I was going to ask you before we started, when is this airing? Uh, I think it's slated for mid-December, so I think it's the 14th. Okay, so December 14th means that if you're when you're listening to this, this is one week after my surgery. Yes. I just want to throw out there, we're pre-recording <laughs> this, so I'm not actually this chipper and functional. Um, hopefully I am, actually, but we don't know, so that's why we're recording a little bit ahead of time. We also wanted to address some topics for beginners Um, so I think like Judy and I each came up with three, so hopefully they're different. We came up with three (laughs) like tips for beginners as people kind of wrap up this year and then start the next year. We know carnivore is a big topic or starting some kind of diet or lifestyle or whatever that is. So we wanted to try to touch on those things, um, as we wrap up the year. So I want to just call out those two points. Um, but hopefully we'll give you an update on surgery stuff soon, but this is not me super chipper. Yeah. So just in case Laura is not responding to your DMs or messages and you hear her on here. I mean, I have a deal. I don't do that normally. (laughs) Okay. Well, by the way, okay, let me tell you this though. I just found out there is, did you know this? There's like a hidden message box on Instagram inside of the message request. So like if you've never talked to somebody before, those messages go to a message request section Well, I just found out inside of that separate folder, there's a whole nother box, like secret message request box that says hidden for potentially offensive or inappropriate comments. And I've literally never looked at it. And I just went through it the other day and there is, it looks like normal. It's all normal comments, by the way. It's people just being like, oh, what kind of recipe is this? How are you? Can I get some advice? Like, And there's like, you know, thousands of comments in there and they're just normal people asking normal questions. So this was not about that. But if you've ever messaged me and I didn't answer, I just don't answer messages. Come find me on Locals and I answer everything. And that's in the DM section? Yeah. So if you go to the DMs where it says requests, Mm -hmm. like people you've never talked to and you can either accept it or block it or whatever. Well, if you scroll all the way to the bottom of that, there's like a hidden request section that's like, offensive, potentially offensive stuff. And it's literally oh, like, okay. People saying your kids are so cute. And then it's marked as offensive. So I don't know why Instagram thinks everything's offensive, but there's just all these normal comments in there. Oh, that's so interesting. I think that YouTube does that right with some of the comments, but I didn't. Oh yeah. But those are actually offensive. Okay. <laughs> those are okay. very offensive. <laughs> I have that section and that filters accurately. Okay. That section is like 
giant list of expletives when I'll have to do it when you come for Thanksgiving wild. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to hear. But yeah, I do remember that YouTube has some type of feature. I think, you know, I bet you all of them do, but I didn't realize that there's a special secret section in the, um, in the DMS for Instagram. But it, essentially it's filtering out all kinds of normal people messages. Know, like people weird. said nice things about us and, or are asking, you know, generic questions and it's, filtering them out like they're offensive. So it's, it's also just goes to show you why Instagram is such a terrible communication model and why I, this was not supposed to be a plug for locals, but come find me on <laughs> lauraeastbath.locals.com. And uh, then I can answer, I answer things over there hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I mean, I am technically out of Instagram jail, I guess, because people are now mm-hmm. able to tag me, but my viewership, the accessibility, it's still really, really small as if I'm a brand new account. So the one benefit is I'm taggable now. But yeah, I think there's just something with Instagram that's strange. Yeah, it's just it's a hard, it's a hard communication platform. I'll say that it's great for like sharing things, but it's really hard to actually communicate and have conversations with people. And plus, you also don't know, like, you know, you could spend you and I talked about this before, but you spend a lot of time answering questions and, and giving people responses and then they argue back with you or they don't even acknowledge it. So like or talking that's why fake I'd rather accounts. spend my time helping people who want it. What'd you say? I said, or if you're talking to fake accounts, but anyways, oh, yeah, moving on. It's a mess. That's it. I, I that's why I like genuine actual connections more than all of that. So I'm sorry. I if you if I've never answered you, now you know why. Instagram thought you were offensive. <laughs> Okay, so, so let's move on to the top three. Uh, why don't we do one at a time so that uh, just in case we have the exact same three, do you want to share your first tip? Maybe tip in general of if you were starting brand new, what would be a big tip for you that would have been beneficial to know? I, this is so generic, but I think it's so important and it has been, it's taken me way too long to realize this myself. But my first tip is don't try to be perfect, be consistent. And it's not about knowing, I think sometimes we get really overwhelmed with knowing everything before we get started with making sure we have the perfect food and recipes and macro and meal timing. And I say this all the time, it's just too much. And we try so hard to be perfect when in reality, you just have to start and you just have to focus on being consistent. And then you can make adjustments as you go. Um, based on your results or your needs or how it's working for you, but you're not going to know the perfect way to do it before you get started. So it's kind of a two-part thing. You're never going to know the perfect way to do it before you get started. And so why wait until that happens? Cause it's not going to happen. And then number two is sometimes you put so much pressure on yourself to be perfect in all of these areas. And then when one little thing goes wrong, you give up on the whole entire thing. Right. You know, I think it's like January 14th, like 80% of people have quit their new year's resolutions by like January 14th. Right. So if you're putting so many expectations on yourself that you can't keep it up for like more than a week or two, in my mind, it probably means you're being a little too drastic to begin with. And you have to try to find a little bit more of a realistic approach. So, um, it's about doing something that you can keep up consistently, not about doing it perfectly. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good one. And that actually was not on my list, but I think it's so important to not say, okay, January 1st or the first of the month, I am not only going to start doing meat only perfect carnivore with just meat, salt and water. And I'm also going to start doing these extended fasts. And I'm also going to start hitting the gym. And I'm going to also start blah, blah, blah. I think it's when we do all of these things and try to be perfect. That's when we set ourselves up for failure rather than um, I mean, my first tip was eating the meat we enjoy. So if you're going to start this way, instead of going for perfect, um, instead of having all of these, I must do these things in order to be successful, just start with, I'm just going to eat with the meat I enjoy. And that probably for many will include bacon and ribeyes and um, other meats that you enjoy. Yeah. And the grocery store stuff and just really like things that you're familiar with. You don't have to do a bunch of subscription boxes to meat and that kind of stuff. I think to, um, what was I going to say? I totally lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Hang on. I remember now. One other thing to note too, is that January 1st is still like six weeks away. And oftentimes we have this event that we know we're going to eat bad at. And so we decide to save doing anything good whatsoever until after that. So like it's mid December right now. You're right. You could just eat like junk 
for the next two full weeks because you know that on Christmas Day, you're going to eat your grandma's cinnamon rolls or whatever. <laughs> well, like you could have, oh, that's a tradition for me growing okay. up. Okay. <laughs> no, I just think we it's always like, blame grandma or aunt on our podcast. Oh no, it's a Midwest thing. Like you got to have the cinnamon rolls for Christmas breakfast morning. Um, but actually I say grandma's cinnamon rolls. I'm pretty sure ours were from a can. <laughs> like the Pillsbury cinnamon rolls. But you could have, you have two weeks until January 1st. You could either eat bad for two weeks just because of the fact that Christmas morning you want to have this traditional breakfast, or you could have 13 days where you're eating good and then still eat your cinnamon rolls for Christmas breakfast, right? Because you're not so worried about being right. perfect and that kind of thing. Or my guess is if you have start being good now, by the time you get to Christmas, you might be on a roll and you not even want it in the first place. But I have delayed starting some perfect way of, you know, like eating because I feel like, well, I can't be perfect until after this date. So I might as well not even get started in the first place. And I think it's like, just focus on being consistent. And if you have 13 awesome days before the end of the year, and you have one day where you intentionally ate bad, it's way better than having 14 terrible days. Yeah. And I also think terminology matters. So, um, and I learned this in the whole eating disorder facility, but when we label foods as good or bad, that's where we start triggering. Like, so let's say for example, what we define as good is that we don't use sweeteners in the day. And yet in the morning we start our coffee, we put a little creamer and then it doesn't taste as good. So then we add a little bit of sweetener. So in our mind, we already start thinking, well, it's not a good day because I already said that I wouldn't use sweeteners. And so then it's easy to then say, well, this day is already messed up. Um, it's okay if I have like the company's donut, but if instead of thinking it has to be perfect, if it's just that it's meat based or mo- mostly meat, then that's a win in general. So even if you had a small piece of dark chocolate, or you had a little bit of sweetener, or you had whatever else that you may not think is perfect or good enough, it's still good enough. And that's really the message. Even if you plan to eat grandma cinnamon rolls, it's really what you define as what's good enough for the next 14 days or however many days leading up to New Year's Day, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that over time, maybe it's like you got to make good decisions from now till then. And then you kick things up a notch on January 1st, but it's not like you have to delay starting. Right. Like it's about how many days can I, you know, have that are daily wins versus, you know, it's certainly, again, it's better to have 13 instead of none. Yeah. Uh, And I think we need to stop looking at it. And that's, that's been a big thing for me over the last couple of years as I've worked towards consistency. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, just to reiterate the point, it's 13 days of eating meat based is still better than saying 13 days of I don't care. I already I didn't eat meat only. Yeah. And so therefore, I'm going to eat the standard American diet or a paleo diet. It's just to focus on eating that 80% of your day is mostly meat and that you're still limiting carbs. It maybe it might not be zero carbs or fewer carbs, but that's still better than saying screw it. Right. Um, I love your point about eating the meat you enjoy. I think sometimes, especially people who are starting out, get so bogged down with like eating the perfect meat. And I'm I'm very grateful, actually. I think the narrative has shifted in the community over the last year or so when it used to be very dogmatic with grass-finished, organic, well, you know, like very specific meat. There are still some people that really push that. But I do think that the majority of people are comfortable with eat the meat you can afford and eat the meat you enjoy I, I think eat the meat you can afford is important, but I also think sometimes it's okay to make sacrifices in other areas in your life. Like maybe don't buy new clothes this season so you can eat the meat you enjoy. Right. Maybe you enjoy fatty ribeyes and you want a higher quality of meat. Like maybe that's a little bit more outside your budget. So where can you cut back? Maybe I don't get my nails done for the next, you know, like, or maybe I don't, you know, go to buy coffee at Starbucks or something because you know that if you're eating really good quality ribeyes and steaks, you're going to enjoy it so much more, which then I think goes back to, it's going to help you stick to it more. And I think that's a big part of it is sometimes eat the meat you'd afford might be ground beef and eggs, but I'm not going to stick to things very long if I have to eat that. So I will make different choices in the rest of my budget to try to be able to afford a little bit better quality meat that I will enjoy. Yeah. And I don't know if we mentioned on this podcast, but I know that before this podcast. And just from doing the carnivore cure elimination diet, I was always an advocate for grass finished meats is superior. And I mean, technically from a natural, what's the natural diet for an animal, it may be, but 
even from an environmental perspective, the fact that grass-finished meats have to live longer, it's not a full, it's true that grass-finished meats are better for the planet. Yes, they do. Regenerative farming that will then help with some of the um, some of the greenhouse gases, but then also they live double the life. So then the argument is, is it really truly better? So there's all these nuances, but in terms of the meat quality, because maybe they never get antibiotics, maybe they never get growth hormones, and not that all grain finished meats do, but, and then, you know, there would be people that say in the autoimmune illness community or the highly sensitive or the chronic illness people that would say grass finished meats are the best for me. But as I've worked with people with chronic illness that may actually be suffering from Lyme or a tick bite or chronic illness or chronic inflammatory response syndrome, once they heal from these very severe illnesses that is causing the histamine response and MCAS or all of these sensitivities to the quote unquote grain finished meats, once they heal, they can eat those. So then it just made me question everything in terms of, is it really that you need to eat the purest meats or that you're just masking a root cause illness. And so from that, now I see my clientele, we never talk about the quality. There's one or two people we always do because they're so sick. And so they think that's the only meat they can survive on. But when we start healing them, it's never a question of I can only source from this kind or this, they literally can start eating all the various meats. And from that alone, to know that basically meat can be afforded and any type that you want to eat should be able to be consumed once you're truly healing. Now I'm an advocate for all kinds. Yeah. And I think that getting to root cause healing is the, is the key takeaway from all of that, right? It's important that you know, if everything is causing you issues, there's likely something else going on underneath of it. And it's important to recognize if your body is reacting to grain finished meat versus grass finished meat, there's a root cause issue going on there that you need to address. Right. Yeah. So everything we're talking about kind of leads into my second tip, which is learn how to cook meat. Judy, this is my tip for you. That is so not going to be on my list. (laughs) I knew that one was not on your list. This is why I picked it. For me, for now, listen. You could be like Judy and be have no issues. Food is fuel, and it's totally fine. But she also is not coming from this like obesity, eating for total euphoric entertainment and pleasure. And she has obviously she's been very open about her eating disorder background. But my background is eating for enjoyment and pleasure and hobby for entertainment for, you know, emotional release, like all of those things, food that tastes good. Like I, you know, Chris and I have traveled all over the place and we searched out recipes and we used to do Pinterest and he made me a homemade three layered cake. And like, we just, it used to be this huge part of our lives to eat and enjoy the food. And it was all about how to cook the best thing and meat and homemade breads and all these things. And so for me, I have to be able to really, really enjoy the food that I'm eating, which is why carnivore is great for us because I can learn how to cook meat. I can watch YouTube tutorials and know the perfect temperatures for the different cuts of meat and learning all about that. And so that's almost been like this obsession for us. And so if you are really bored of the food, if you're not bored, do what you're doing. But if you're bored with the food, if you're getting fatigued, if you're getting sick of meat, my argument would be like, learn how to be a better cook with meat. Spend some time watching YouTube videos, invest in a little bit of cooking tools in a meat thermometer, in a grill, like do something that lets you learn how to cook meat better that, so that you will enjoy it and the different types of meat and all those things, seasonings, whatever. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. I think most people are not like me. So maybe the community that came from a previous eating disorder where they have to over time learn how to really see food as enjoyment, whereas we used to fear it, right? It was our solace, but then it was also our enemy. For most people, I mean, even Kevin really uses food as enjoyment. It's what he looks forward to when he travels to other places. So I fully get that. And even when I put out the very sparse amount of recipes, people, or if I share something in my kid's meal that doesn't look like it's just blatant bacon, they'll ask, how do you make that? And so I I understand that most people do like to spend that time in the kitchen and make recipes and do fancy things, but I am not wired that way. So for me, it's different, but I do, I think it's makes a lot of sense. I always think about if I were like Laura and Chris and had all these fancy gadgets, I bet you I can make Kevin more carnivore than he is meat-based right now. 
Yeah. And I think the gadgets are nice. Obviously we've turned this into like a giant hobby for us and it's our whole lifestyle. So we've really, you know, gone above and beyond than you need to, but it is just under, you can do a lot with a cast iron skillet and like, you know, your oven. We used to cook before we had all this stuff. We used to cook tons of these different meats in the oven, the same way that you would in a smoker. And you can do those things really similarly, but now vacations, and holidays don't feel like this torturous thing where I'm denying all my favorite foods because we get to have this incredibly decadent carnivore meal for holidays. And when right. we go on vacations, we get to seek out different kinds of cool meats and things that we enjoy. And so all of these special occasions are still special for us because we elevate the meat that we're eating and the cuts and do some fancier stuff. And it doesn't feel like I'm missing out on anything. I still get to have this like really special holiday experience, um, that, that, you know, I used to have it. It still brings me a lot of nostalgia and I'm not just sitting here being like, Oh, it's Thanksgiving. And I don't get to eat any of the things I used to eat. Right. I, Hey, you know what? I get to do something really cool and awesome and delicious on Thanksgiving because I've taught myself how to cook those things. So I, so I agree with that, with the learning how to properly cook meats in a way that you will enjoy it. And then the variety of that. If you are first starting, would you, rec- you know how there's a lot of carnivore fried like breads, for example, and I don't even know oh, how, yeah, to, I think it's like egg whites, but do you recommend people using those as substitutes or bridges as they start? Or would you say to only add that later? I mean, I'm kind of a neither person. Like to me, anything that's a replacement food is just less, I am. Um, all it does is increase my cravings where I'm like, Oh, this doesn't even taste like real bread. I just would rather have real bread. And then guess what? Now I'm craving real bread because this is a terrible replacement for that. It might be helpful for you and you might enjoy it, but anything that is a replacement, same thing. That's why keto was such a problem in the keto treats because none of the keto ice creams tasted like Ben and Jerry's and it just made me want Ben and Jerry's. And so I really stay away. I am not like a recipe hacker when it comes to carnivore. I am not making any of the recipes that you see people doing. I think if you want to do that and you can enjoy it to me, it's just, that's, that's a lot more work for something that doesn't end up actually satisfying any cravings for me. I do much better just like eating a delicious piece of meat by itself and not trying to like make a bread to replace bread. Like I just need to forget about bread. I, I agree with you. So I think when you're starting to use a bridge and that one that is so close to it, that's kind of almost triggering your memories right. of how bread tastes just a week ago versus um, this, like the PSMF bread. And I, I've never made a chaffle. I've never made a chaffle or the chaffle. I don't even know. I, no, it took me a second. I thought you were going to say chafy. And I was like, wait, what's he cooking now? Like a chaffle. <laughs> you know what it is? I've never seen it. Um, yeah. Anyway, so there you go. You can tell you I've never, it. never right, said it out exactly, loud. Or I've never watched a video that has it said. So Anyways, it sounded right in my mind. And as soon as I said it, I saw your face and realized it's probably not right. This is one of those moments where you wish we recorded this on video. (laughs) But, um, or I've never tried any of the egg whites or a lot of these other things that people make. I've never tried it. And I think it's just, for me, it's just about time efficiency. So that's why I don't personally do it. But if I first started and I had to eat some of those samples. And I only know this because Kevin will try some of the keto fied versions of things. And he says it tastes disgusting. And for me, it tastes good because I don't get the other options. But I think when you're first starting, if you just stick to real meats and butters and uh, animal based foods that you really enjoy, instead of trying to make a mock version, it just may, Laura said, it may just trigger cravings. Yeah, I think so. Now, if these things do give you the bridge that it helps you stay consistent and you know yourself and it works, then, I mean, by all means go for it. I just, um, I know in my clientele, or maybe they're just not telling me about it, but I don't hear about these breads. And so if it works for you, it does. But um, generally speaking, I think stick to the more animal based one item ingredient products, just because the biggest thing is, for example, the protein sparing modified fast bread, there's not a lot of nutrition in it. Sure, it's filling, it tastes like bread, I guess, or mostly egg whites. Okay, so my second thing is to eat often. So I know that I don't think you would say that. But I, I know for me, when I first started, um, 
I always had cravings for something sweet. I was plant-based, so a lot of my diet was very carb-rich. And so when I tried to do a lot of fasting, all I wanted to do in between was to snack. I think I eventually moved on to OMAD. But if I just had three square meals a day, I probably would have been full enough that even if I wanted to eat something sweet, um, I may just not go back into the pantry because physically my body is satiated. But when I was having just OMAD, I do remember thinking I was craving sugar a lot longer. And I don't know if I had just done three meals a day would have been better. Yeah, it's hard because I think eating often, if you're somebody like me who had so much weight to lose, um, it's not going to help with the weight loss. However, this is one of those moments where it goes back to what I said at the beginning of don't try to be perfect, try to be consistent. Because I do agree that eating often will help you be consistent better, right? So the first thing you have to do is get off of the carbs and the sugar. And if you're trying to force one meal a day, sometimes you're right, you will just end up giving up and binging on sugar. So, but that's when you're kind of, if you can eat regularly, it will help you get detox the carbs, get rid of the sugar cravings. And then I think depending on your weight and like how much weight you have to lose and what you are coming from, it might be a week or two where you then can go down to two meals a day or, you know, um, skip a day or something like that and incorporate some fasting. But I, I do agree with you that you should eat often in the beginning. Now, whether or not that's a week or two weeks or a month is really going to depend on your health context and your goals, but your initial goal needs to be get off of carbs and sugar. And then your secondary goal is, okay, how can I, now that I'm being consistent, how can I tweak this for weight loss? Right. The unfortunate thing, though, is that if we're not losing drastic amounts of weight from the very beginning, then we often have a hard time sticking to it, um, which is one of the challenges, unfortunately. Yeah, so that's where I think making a list of other things, right, the non-scale victories that people talk about often on social media, make a list of all the ailments and struggles you have before even starting a carnivore diet. So it might be, for example, your sleep is terrible or um, you can't you can't wake up in the morning or you have really low energy in the morning, or you're always tired after a meal and you need a nap, or you always need to pick me up with caffeine. Those are things that within three weeks, you should see a difference. Yes, it's true that if you eat three meals a day and you're already insulin resistant, your blood sugar is high, the amount of healing and weight loss may slow down. I I think that's a very true statement. But if you are eating three weeks without any sugar, you're eating pretty much zero carb, you're focusing on just one ingredient, animal-based foods, then in three weeks, for sure, your energy should change. Having to take a nap after meals should likely change. Maybe you get blood work done. And then if you're demotivated, then after just one month, go get your insulin or your A1C checked. Those are ways that although your scale may not move that much, um, these markers will improve in within a month. But I would highly recommend making a list of everything that you dislike in your life, whether it's mental or physical, And then all the things that you hope to change on a carnivore diet. And when you struggle, you look at that list of all the things that you have been healing. Yeah, I think that's, you have to identify that root cause issue of healing or weight loss, or, you know, like Judy said, listing off all those things and know why you're doing this in the first place is really key. Yeah. Okay. So my third one is really to learn as much as you can, but take it all with a grain of salt. Right. So absorb yourself, learn content. I listen to tons and tons and tons of podcasts. Here's the thing. There is so much information that's out there. And the the problem is sometimes you learn and learn and learn, and then it's very overwhelming. So it's like, I think you should learn and then not necessarily do what you're hearing, right? Take it with a grain of salt. I think it's great to hear somebody talk about fasting and then somebody talk about how fasting is wrong. And then not in this sense of like you do one or the other. I think we're so quick to like hear a podcast and then instantly start jumping on and doing exactly what they say. When in reality, I want to listen to three or four different people talk about a topic and then kind of say, okay, based on my context, based on my health, the thing Judy just mentioned, what's the root reason why I'm doing this? Well, I'm doing this to lower my A1C. Well, okay. Scientifically, fasting is going to burn off this stored sugar in my body. It's going to lower my A1C. It's going to do these things. So like you're learning lots of information, but then you have to be able to apply it to the reasons why you're doing it in the first place. And then you hear somebody talking about, you know, fasting is bad for women and they're going to tank their hormones. And then it's this. So like, you're like, but in my context, right, I heard this other guy say this. And so it's hard because you really do need to just learn so many different people's perspectives but you can't fall into the trap of 
bouncing back and forth, doing what everybody says. You almost have to like believe no one, right? And just try to absorb as much as you can and then really spend some time digging into why am I doing this? Which ones of these things apply to me? You know, what's my personal context and trying to understand things from a deeper level. I had so many thoughts from everything you said right now. So I'm just thinking of the average person trying to start a carnivore diet. And, you know, I'm in the science space. So I feel or the more of the educational space. So and so I get a lot of the thoughts around people feeling overwhelmed. I probably would disagree with you on this one. And only because if I'm brand new, I probably would just want to watch your content. Like someone like you, Laura, who's sharing what you eat, normalizing it and seeing the different cuts you eat. And sure, I'm sure my question will be, well, how much should I be eating? And maybe you do a little research on that. But, you know, I think of how Dr. Paul Saladino is a very good charismatic person that sells, right, that sells his opinion well. And if I listen to every single one of his arguments, podcasts, episodes, reels, whatever he does on PUFAs, I bet you I would start doubting my stance on PUFAs. And so that's the only thing. It's when you're brand new, how do you delineate between, because remember, they have heard none of the content of Paul's prior or our content prior. So all you'll get is that 15 minute blurb from Paul or us. And, but that's why it's so important not to listen to what he's saying and then start doing those things. It's listening to him. And then it's listening to a counter to that and Mm -hmm. saying, wait a second, this is a guy who's fit and over and not overweight. And he doesn't have insulin resistance. And he's saying, eat all this fruit. But then I just listened to Dr. Jason Fung, who talks about how you you know, should be fasting to lower your insulin. Like, it's it's having a balance. Now, let me ironically, in case we had tips that were similar, I wrote an alternative one down and that was to keep it simple, which is almost completely contradictory to what I just said. And this is where it comes down to knowing yourself. I am somebody who motivation is going to or uh, information is going to motivate me, okay. right? The more I understand about what's happening, that's going to motivate me. I guess you have to understand if it's going to motivate you or if it's going to overwhelm you. My fear with saying to keep it simple is like, what if what I'm telling you to do isn't right for you? And then you follow what I'm saying word for word. That's what I'm trying to get people to avoid doing is to find one person and then mimic what they're doing. Agreed, agreed. Because I think that definitely leads people down the wrong path and then they give up on the diet in general. So it is this balance of how do you learn as much as you can without bouncing back and forth, right? Keeping within the guardrails. If you remember that analogy I used a few episodes ago, and not making these dramatic changes, but I guess kind of picking and choosing information. Yeah. And and I agree with you because I mean, one of the questions we ask on our intake form is who have you ever worked with? And so we hear people say certain people that they've worked with, and obviously it's not working that they're coming to try even us. And I mean, we may not be the final answer for them. So I, I agree with you that you shouldn't just listen to one person and think they have the answer for you because it will be different. I guess what I'm saying is as a brand new person, if I don't even know who Jason Fung is versus Paul Saladino, I won't even know to go look at these people, but maybe True. maybe I relate to Laura's content. And so then I see what she's eating and it's okay. So she eats a variety of meats. I guess like that's where maybe I'll start. And maybe when they eat that way, they don't feel as good. So then I think you troubleshoot when things don't seem to work and then you look further. So let's say somebody comes to this way of eating and wants to lower their A1C. And that's the overarching goal. Then yes, maybe they watch some content on how to reduce A1Cs on a carnivore diet. And maybe they watch something from Barry and then something from you from a lifestyle, how you seem to be fasting. And maybe that's what they first try. And then if that's not working enough to reduce their A1C, then I would look a little further rather than just watching Barry and Chafee and us and Saladino and then thinking, okay, what is working for me from everything that I've just heard? I, that could be very overwhelming. I totally understand, especially like I'm not the science person either. Right. So that definitely is understandable. This is funny that we flipped this because I know, I know. That, I'm like, just I being really, don't do that. <laughs> I no, know. it's true. I, I, I think it's, it's important to, to understand like how things are going to affect you or not. Also, like if I'm craving something though, and I listen to a, a podcast, like a nutritional podcast, it doesn't even have, it just, it almost like takes my mind off of it. It reminds me why I'm doing it. I need something in my brain telling me not to give in. And so it's listening to a lot of 
you know, Dr. Sivas podcast yes. or Joe Nifflin talking about food addiction, or, you know, there's a lot of great stuff. And on our next episode, we're going to talk about carnivore resources. So okay. we're going to list off, I'm going to talk about my favorite podcasts and books and videos and all this resources. Cause that is the hard part. You're right. Where do you even go for this kind of information? I also think sticking within the carnivore world is also the problem because that's when things get a little bit nuanced, when there's so much great information that's outside of the carnivore world that can help you apply it to a carnivore diet, if that makes sense, right? The Jason Fung stuff, like he's not carnivore at all, but uh, it can be extremely beneficial when you apply it to a carnivore diet. Yeah. So I think if we were to just have people, you know, eat the meat they enjoy um, and not focus on perfection and then maybe do a little bit of research as to what do I need to eat and maybe how often or how much and then figure it out from there. Like I, if, if you were my client and you were brand new, which I don't really have many clients that start carnivore brand new with us, but if that was the case, rather than saying, listen to this person for this content, I would just go more towards, like you said, I would have them listen to more inspirational content, right? Like you can do this. You are able to change and focus more on mindset of take it day by day, focus on winning your day. Maybe have them listen to Frisella or some other person that doesn't use as many bad words, but you know, focus on that rather than get overwhelmed possibly by, Hey, um, I heard someone talk about deuterium in your water. What do you think of that? Right. Or, Oh, I really don't even know what that is. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, people have been bringing it up, I think in the light world and it's something in your water and it's how it's depleted. And if I'm concerned and I said to them, I haven't looked into it much, but I have never seen that be the root cause issue for people of why they're not healing on carnivore. So, but that's what I'm saying. So let's say you're brand new to someone and you hear that as a new topic, they're going to think that they have to find a certain type of water and that's how they're going to heal. And again, it's just. So maybe that's where though, when I started in 2018, 2019, there wasn't all of this crazy information out there. So for me to go listen to a bunch of podcasts, I was getting a lot more generic, basic Mm -hmm. information from the keto world and just the low carb world in general. And so there wasn't all of this craziness. So maybe that's part of my thing too, was I could listen to a whole bunch of different stuff and not have my head explode um, because it wasn't as complicated and nuanced information as it is today. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's going to always come back to figure out what makes sense. There's some people that are naturally questioners. This is a whole question test model that you can find from Gretchen Rubin. I'll put the link in the show notes, but people are motivated in different ways. Some people, I think you and I are both in, um, motivated by external people. So if someone were to say, Laura, it would mean the world to me if you got your health together and tried a carnivore diet, because I really want you to be around forever. Like, Ugh. let's say your daughter said that I feel that you would mo- be motivated by that. And yeah. I am the same. There are some people that are motivated as questioners. So until they know exactly why they need to do this diet, why scientifically carnivore makes sense, they will not um, push the trigger to then start. So for those people, maybe they do need the science and read some books and listen to podcasts and watch the videos and make it all make logical sense in their mind before they actually act. So it does go back to, you have to figure out how you are, how you function. And for me, I'm not a questioner in that sense. So I just needed uh, me to get sick enough, hit rock bottom. And for my family to say, please get better. And then I looked into what diets can I do that will hopefully help me heal? And that was motivation enough. Mm. Yeah, that's important to know where things are coming from for you, right? And it's also why we can't force anybody else to do things for us because we don't know where they're, they have to be able to get that motivation. Like they have to figure out what's going to motivate them. Yeah, and the last thing I'll just say about this topic is I know it is really important to keep it simple, but when I, I think when we both, um, and let me know if you agree or not, but when we say keep it simple, that doesn't mean just listen to one person because I do think- right not, there is no one in our community and anyone's community that has the answers for every single person. Us included. Yes. hundred percent us included. So I do not believe that we should just have one person. It, it does make it simple, right? So then they have one way, one path, but I will tell you that it doesn't matter if it's one of my clients or somebody in the community, there is no one person that has the answers for every single person. Yeah. When we say keep it simple too, it's about like, don't, I mean, this goes back to what Judy said of eat the meat that you enjoy. It's like, don't force liver because somebody said you have to eat liver if you don't like liver and right. don't 
force yourself to eat sardines because you think you eat sardines and don't for, or like whatever, like all of the, I'm never going to eat a sardine. I'm sorry. It's never going to happen. I'm not going to eat a stick of butter a day either. Like I'm just not going to do all these things. And so you have to keep it simple in the sense that you have to find a way to do this every day over and over again and trying to fit yourself into somebody else's mold, like mine included, right. Right. Isn't going to work for you. Um, so you really do have to keep it simple and something that's sustainable for you. Or even if you want to add some fruit, um, the last person I mentioned that has seizures, I mean, they thought I would say zero carbohydrates, period. But they also told me their story of how they use glycine and they make jello out of and they use sweeteners and but they're also trying to heal his gut. So the only balance I could think of was maybe adding a few berries to find that balance right. for him. So I said, fine, you could have 15 grams worth of fruit um, if that will keep him sane and eating this way. But I want you off those jellies and all these powders and all the things that could be irritating his gut because he still has gut issues one year into eating carnivore. So it's again, it's just finding that balance. But generally speaking, I do not tell anybody to be eating fruit on in in my clientele. Yeah, it depends on your context for sure. Yes. Yes. All right. What's your last tip, Judy? Um, So I would say eat more than you think. Um, You know, on a carnivore diet, especially when you're starting with meat only, meaning no carbohydrates, you're really cutting out one full macronutrient family. And so from that, we need to then add more protein and fat in general. I think we think often people will just cut out the veggies or cut out the fruits or cut out the treats and then just eat the same amount of protein because that's what they see as normal. That's what they see as standard servings. But I think you have to actually eat more and especially eat fattier cuts so that you can balance um, the lack of carbohydrates from en- uh, for energy. And so that would be my big recommendation is eat more than you think. Uh, make sure to eat fattier cuts of meat. That would be my big recommendation. You know, I think as time passes, we can cut out some of the fat, right? So just like you, you started with ribeyes, but then now you eat less ribeyes. And, and I think you could do that as your body becomes assimilated to this way of eating. But I do recommend eating or trying to eat higher fatty cuts of meat uh, when you first start. Yeah, I think people are used to eating meat and a veggie and a side and a, and a potato and a roll, and then they cut out all those other things. And they're like, oh, I had eight ounces of meat. And then I used to have eight ounces of meat. Well, you used to also have like a bunch of other stuff right. as well. And so you can't just eat eight ounces of meat. And while you might not be hungry, hungry anymore after eight ounces of meat, you still may not be getting enough calories. And the danger of under eating, it's one thing for a day or two, but to do that over time is what's going to inevitably, you're going to, your weight loss is going to stall. You are going to have hormone issues. You're going to have hair. There's just so many things that can compound itself from under eating. uh, And that is very easy to do when you're feeling so satiated. Right. Right. And that's when people will start blaming the diet for hormonal issues and thyroid issues and hair loss. And then just low energy or low energy. And then you add the fruit back in, you have this huge insulin spike and then you have energy spike and you have uh, you know, hormone spikes, all these things, but it really just was because you were under eating to begin with. I do think that's, uh, that's very common kind of along those lines. Like I don't think tracking is necessary long-term and you necessarily shouldn't do that, but tracking can be a tool to learn a lot. And if you are tracking, say you put in eight ounces of ribeye and three eggs and six pieces of bacon, you will learn a lot by doing that. Like, Oh wow, it's this fat to protein ratio. And it's, again, you're not trying to hit a certain amount of macros or calories, but I think that tracking can be a tool to understand like, wow, I've had only a thousand calories every day this week. I'm definitely under eating or I've been really low energy lately, but I've only been eating 50% fat and 50% protein. Like that's maybe why, because my fat was so low or, you know, I have really loose stools and I'm feeling, um, you know, I'm gaining weight. Well, you're eating 80% fat. This is why, because you're not eating enough protein to feel satisfied. So there's a lot of things that you can learn by tracking. And I do think that along the lines of what you said, um, make sure you're eating enough and you can know that just by using tracking as a tool for a little while. Yeah. When I first started, I mean, just being fully honest, um, the veterans and all the people that were doing this 10 plus years, their mantra was do not track and just eat as much, eat around two pounds. This is especially if you are a female, eat the cuts you want. And so I followed that mantra until it didn't work for me. And then just now that I've worked with 
clients, the first thing we do is we always track. So we say, and a lot of them will say, oh, I don't track my what I eat. So but we need to track it in order for us to tell them, you're either under eating, you're not eating enough fat, your protein count is too high. And the only way we know that, and it's the logical thing is what you don't track cannot be measured. So for them, once we start tracking, then we can measure what may be the things that we can do to um, ultimately fix their way yeah. of eating. And so then the next, um, the next thing that we say as a homework assignment for them is for the next week, you need to track what you're eating and then send it to us. If they are really against tracking on something like my fitness pal, then we tell them to send us pictures of what they eat. And that is the only way that we can say, okay, you're not eating enough. You're not getting enough fat or you're not getting enough protein you know, whatever else that we can do to recommend um, improvements. But if you are starting this way, how do you know how much to eat for your height, for your current situation, unless you track? So I I think it is important to just track for a week and get a semblance or a sense of what makes sense for you. And then you can fine tune from there. And then you don't even have to track, but you need to have an idea of how much you're supposed to eat on this way of eating. Otherwise, I have seen way too many people just go by their hunger cues. And then when your insulin is low, you're never going to feel hungry. And then you're going to under eat. And so that recommendation of just go by how you feel, um, I do not think is a valid recommendation, especially when you're just first starting. Yeah, when you're starting, your motivation is really high too. And so tracking in the beginning is a great way to start on the right foot. Somebody like me who was coming from an overeating background, it was very easy for me to nibble and graze all day and not realize how much that was adding up where I was eating an extra thousand calories in the day just from all my little snacks. And so every time you had to track it, you're like, oh, wow, that's adding up. Oh, I had six snacks today. Like you're able to kind of be honest with yourself about how much you're actually eating, whether it's under or over by doing that tracking. And then I think nobody should be having, feeling the need to do that long-term, Yes. but when your motivation is really high, when you're first starting out, like it really helps you start on the right foot and just learn very quickly um, by tracking. I will say too, when I started keto for the first time, I was tracking everything and I didn't realize how many carbs were in like mushrooms and onions and how quickly the carbs in broccoli added up. And so doing a lot of tracking, you're like, holy cow, I didn't realize I had so many carbs today. Well, it's because I had broccoli and onions and mushrooms and kind of all these other things before. So, or tomatoes, right? You can just, you learn so much by tracking that I think it can be eye-opening for people. Yeah. I I think it's uh, really important. And for the people that are even listening now, if, if carnivore isn't fully working for you, maybe you're starting to notice some hair loss or you just feel low fatigue. I would honestly get back to the drawing table write all the symptoms you're still having since being carnivore, and then write down for one week, your macronutrients. So write down, you know, what you're eating, um, if it means that you have to measure it, do that, and then see, are you eating sufficient protein? And then are you eating sufficient fat? And if you're not, then that's one thing you should probably do is eat more. And then I would also do a food and mood journal. So that's a big thing we always recommend too. is after your meal, how do you feel? Where is your mood? Are you still hungry? And if those things also are showing that there are areas you can improve, then I would also start going with that. But again, if you don't track, you will never know that um, there are little nuances and levers that you can pull because you have tracked. It's something that I still pull out every now and again. You know, I've been in like super beast mode, weight loss mode, getting ready for this surgery, just trying to make sure that I'm like as low inflammation as possible, that I'm the best weight possibly I can be. And the other day, Chris was like, uh, you need to start tracking because I'm pretty sure you're just under eating at this point. Like it's one thing to be in beast mode and to stop snacking on cheese and to do all these things. He's like, but you're also like, you, you have a tendency to like push things too far when you're working this hard. And he's like, you should be tracking because I'm pretty sure you're under eating. And so now I'm realizing like, oh, I had a day where I was eating 1100 calories. So then the next day I made sure it was like 1700. And like, I just am having to check in with myself even, and I'm not going to do this long-term. It's like a week. I need a week of making sure that I'm consistently eating enough in regards to like being extra strict as well. So it's a tool you can pull out occasionally to really help no matter where you are in your journey. Right. No, that's it. Ex- yeah, that's um, exactly it. Did you say your last one? Yeah, yeah. No, I did. Okay. The the learning and keeping it simple that's right. and blah, that's blah, blah, right. blah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think these are all good recommendations. And um, I know this is like a bonus one, but I also think the big thing is water, hydration, and making sure you're getting sufficient electrolytes. I, I do think that carnivores tend to under drink water. And I will say it time and time again. And it's mainly because 
we don't feel as thirsty as when we're eating carbohydrates. And so people tend to drink less water. Even I drink less water. So I have to be mindful. I always have a mug by me and I kind of sip water throughout the day. When you feel thirsty, because people will often say on the internet, see, this is again, one of those controversies, but people will say only drink when you're thirsty. But if you look at any um, symptomology chart of dehydration, you only get thirsty when it's severe dehydration. So you do not even want to get to that point. I'm not saying to drink boatloads of water. I'm just saying sip through water throughout the day, sprinkle a little, a little bit of unrefined salt to just add a little bit more of the minerals. But generally speaking, we tend to be a community that under drinks water. Now there's some people that are super thirsty, but generally speaking, we under drink water. So Um, That would be a big tip of mine is make sure you're hydrated. Some people struggle with constipation. It could be again, because they're not drinking enough water. If you have enough electrolytes in general. Yes. Yeah. And that's the other thing. And then also because of the electrolytes. So that would be my bonus tip is make sure you are hydrated. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for next week just to share resources. A lot of them are like, I mean, the ones that I know, because I don't, you and I, I don't absorb a lot of content right now. And so a lot of the stuff that I want to share is people who helped me originally when we first started or places where I think people can go now. Um, But yeah, it's, you got a long time till January 1st. Like it will be here before you know it, but you also have a lot of time and ways where you can have good days before then. Um, My guess is if you're listening to this podcast, then that's, you're not like haven't started at all yet. But, you know, a lot of times we get completely off track and are looking for our way back. And it just takes one day to be back on track again. You can have one good day. Think about what can your win be for today and uh, put a couple of one days together. And the next thing you know, you'll be on your way. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And before we go, so I'm going to have you do some fortune telling for us. So assuming that this is seven days after your surgery, how do you think you're going to be feeling right now? (laughs) Oh, I'm probably going to be drugged. Actually, I'm hoping to be maybe off of pain meds by a week later. I'm still not going to be doing great. I'm actually working from home by today because today would have been Wednesday. So I'll be working from my recliner um, already. And yeah, I'll have to post on that day or something and tell people (laughs) I'm doing one week out. But I have a feeling I'm still going to be in a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, I think it's very normal. Hopefully I'm not like drugged up still so I can be working and back to this myself here soon. Well, I'll send prayers your way so that you'll heal faster. So thank you. Thank you guys all for your support and your prayers and everything. I, I, I know we're recording this early, but I'm telling you, I can feel it already. I, I <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully I'm still excited a week. out. <laughs> I will say everybody I've talked to has said your first couple of weeks after you have the surgery, you pretty much regret every second of it and just wonder <laughs> why you did it in the first place. And it takes a few weeks before you're like happy again. Yeah. But- just remember um, all the people that have told you that they don't regret getting it and that they exactly. all love it. So if you just remember yeah. that, you know, anything different and is hard. It shows you too how much drugs affect you. Like it's the anesthesia and the pain meds mm-hmm. and those things mess with you emotionally and hormonally. And it's like, it's a really crazy thing how much medications affect you. And a lot of people talk about it's the, it's not even just the regret of the surgery and the pain, it's the medications and how much they affect your mood. They cause you to be depressed and they cause you to, you know, be extra sad and weepy and hormonal and emotional. And so I do think the medications have a lot to do with that as well. So I believe that Um, when I first had my child, I knew nothing about anything wellness medical. And so um, I wasn't, I don't think I, um, my water burst. And um, so they gave me Pitocin and I was swollen. I just felt really different, but with my second, they didn't do any of that. And I don't know what exactly Pitocin does other than to dilate you, but it was a difference in emotions and swelling. Um, that was a big one too. So I, I believe yeah, it. it's crazy. Crazy. All right, guys, we will talk to you next week. And hopefully this content on, you know, beginner support or just, you know, trying to get back on your feet um, is beneficial. Thanks, guys. <laughs>